All right, let's get out our Bibles today, and let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians, the second chapter. We're in a series here today, I want to continue with it, called The Rules of Grace. And this is a life-changing message, if we'll grab a hold of it. Ephesians chapter 2. And let's go ahead and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you today for this time, this opportunity to get into the Word, to study your Word for its life to those who find it and health to all their flesh. Lord, give me utterance now, I pray. May my words be directed by your Spirit. And may each person have hearts to receive, eyes to see and ears to hear what you would say to them today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Here we go. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so we understand this, that our salvation is not focused on what we do, but rather on what He did. In fact, not just focused, but entirely established on the work of Jesus as opposed to any good or bad thing we do, right? When we stand before God, any true Christian is not going to stand before God and start talking about themselves. You're not going to come up to the gates of heaven and uh, knock on the door <laughs> and say, Here I am, and here's what I did. I gave this. I did this for you. I went to church, and I served, and, I, and start naming off all the good things that you did in life. How many know a, a real Christian is not ever going to do that? The only thing that's going to come out of their mouth when they stand before God is Jesus. Hmm? Now, religions, religious people all over the world stand before God. They'll be talking about themselves. You know, when they stand before Peter at the pearly gates, you know, like the Bible says. No, it doesn't really say that. <laughs> but all the jokes put, put it that way. They stand, you know, if Peter, Peter asks, you know, why should I let you in uh, to heaven? They're all going to be talking about themselves. Well, I did this, I did this, I didn't do this, I didn't do this very much. And, you know, and, and, uh, this, and how many know that's just the opposite of the Bible? That's just the contrary, uh, to the contrary of grace, okay? And, uh, and we need to understand that the very foundation of our lives is that I'm saved based upon what Jesus did, not based upon what I do. And that's what we're talking about in this message. And the next part is, is Colossians 2. Colossians 2 and verse 6, which says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And so since I received Him by grace, now that same grace is what propels me and carries me through life. But if I revert to a law mentality, a rules and regulations approach to God, then I'm not going to walk with Him as I was saved. I'm going to walk with him a completely different way, okay? And this happens, we know this happens in all kinds of religions that are around the world. People simply approach the Lord based upon what they do. There is no Savior except for Jesus. No one else even has a Savior. They didn't even claim someone to be their Savior, right? It's all about them. It's all about what they do. But even in Christian circles, how many know Christianity can become a religion to people too? Loses the power of a changed life, 
of a resurrected person and becomes a set of rules and regulations. And many, many churches have fallen into this trap. And many of us have fallen into that trap in our thinking where we begin to relate to God based on how we did that day, based on how we performed. And we've left grace. We've left the gospel. Amen. Sometimes we, we, we talk about the gospel. It's a common word in our, in, our, um, in our circles and even in the world today. People talk about the gospel, and, and sometimes it's just real generic. They think gospel, that's Bible. Gospel, that's church. Gospel, that's music. You know, gospel, that's, that, that's something. But what does the Bible really tell us about the gospel and, and, and what, what this really is? See, you, re- you remember when Jesus was on the cross, uh, John 19, one of the things he said was, it is finished. It is finished. What, what, what does that refer to? It is, it is finished. Obviously, the whole plan of God wasn't finished, whole work of redemption, because Jesus still had those three days, and then he had to be risen from the dead. He had to go up to heaven and present his blood on the mercy seat and finish the work that he was set out to do. But what was finished? I'm telling you, the Old Testament law. The sacrifices of the old covenant. It was all together finished. No longer would there ever, ever be a need for some animal or something to die. Some sacrifice to be made so that mankind could be accepted by God. Jesus said, it's done. I am the last sacrifice. The law is fulfilled. The old covenant is done. Remember the... the, the Uh, veil rent from top to bottom there was this big huge tapestry that separated the holy of holies from the outer court remember the holy of holies is where the ark of god uh ark of the covenant was and in those days god's presence was in that place but not just out among the people and he and he was there and you saw raiders of the lost ark years ago remember that it's not true it didn't it's not there's no evil spirits that live in there now (laughs) That are going to come out and and get people. Actually, if you know, I'd like to see it. But if you if you saw the Ark of the Covenant today, uh, we'd probably admire its its you know artistic form and craftsmanship. But beyond that, there's nothing special about it. You know, because there's nobody in there. God's not hanging out in the box, right? He came and the veil that temple, uh, the veil that there was was rent from top top to bottom. It just ripped. And God signifying, I'm out, <laughs> I'm I'm here. I'm ready to come and live inside of you, and you will be uh, my house, the temple of the of the Spirit of the Living God. Amen. And so Jesus said, it's finished. All that Old Testament stuff was done. You know, Paul said in Romans chapter one and verse sixteen, he said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it. Now what is the gospel? He said, it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. Right? If if you were to, if you were asked, what is the gospel? It's simply the power of God unto salvation. Isn't that good? It's not the power of me. It's not my ability. It's not what I can do to save myself. No, it's what God can do to save me. When I put my faith in the gospel, His power goes to work and is is operative in my life, and I become changed. I become saved. Oh, happy day. (laughs) He washed my sin away. Amen? And, uh, and, And that's the power of the gospel. Again, the focus is not on us. It's on Him. It's on what He did and His work that has been accomplished in our lives. And so uh, when we talk about the gospel, sometimes I wonder, 
uh, if it's a good idea to ask what it's not. It's not obeying the commandments. If someone ever asks you, what do I need to do? You don't tell them. You don't give them a list. What do I need to do to be saved, to be right with God? There better not be a list. Huh? Because it's only one thing, and it's Jesus. But it's not obeying the commands. It's not being a church member. It's not doing a bunch of good things or avoiding a bunch of bad things. It's not praying. Uh, That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. He did it for me. I accepted what he did for me. And that, that, that's the basics of all, uh, of all that we talk about. Because how in the world are we supposed to, as individuals, because we're all called to do this, to share the gospel with others if we're confused about it ourselves? If our minds have been all tangled up and tied up in religious thought, and we're, we've become Old Testament born-again people, which doesn't really work. And then so we go and, well, you've got to obey this. You gotta get, and we give them the Ten Commandments. And you've got to live your life. Nonsense, man. That will just bind people up and put them in a place where they'll never be able to live for God like He intended. He wants a relationship. It's a literally, literally a changed life where our, our being, our innermost being has been born again. And so this gospel that we preach, of course, Paul gave real strict warnings for those who would preach any other gospel. You remember that in Galatians 1? He said, if anybody preaches any other gospel than this, let him be accursed. And then he repeated himself, gave him a double verse there. And uh, if anyone preaches anything other, now say, what were they preaching? That he was so you know, upset about and gave such strong warnings about. They were simply adding something to Jesus. That's basically what they're doing. They said you need to receive Jesus, but you also have to obey these commands. And they started digging up the law and the rules and regulations and circumcision, some of these other things. You have to do this too. Hmm. And in that same book, we, we get this phrase called fallen from grace. You ever heard of that phrase? People are, people are said sometimes when they fall into sin or they fall... Uh, morally, it's said about them that they fell from grace. Do you know that's not really what that means? When a person sins, they haven't fallen from grace. It's when a person adds something else to Jesus, they've fallen from grace. You've stopped living your life and relating to God based upon His goodness and grace, and you've started to qualify yourself. You've started to make yourself, try to make yourself good enough or feel like you're bad enough to where you can't receive your prayers answered or things like that. That's falling from grace. Sad to say, a bunch of Christians these days have fallen from grace. It doesn't mean they're not saved, though. It doesn't mean they lost their salvation. It just means their lives are severely hindered because they've... Um, They've, uh, they've left God's supernatural ability to carry them through life and to propel them to do great things, and they've begun to operate in their own strength. And that's something we've got to avoid. Uh, I know our lives are but a vapor in time compared to eternity. Your life is, bam, just like that. But from my perspective, it lasts a while. <laughs> uh you know, 100 years, I know that's nothing to God, but to me, it's a while. <laughs> and I'd sure like to cruise through. You know, I'd sure like to enjoy my life here. I know I'm going to enjoy it in heaven. That's a given. There's no opposition. I mean, it's just the glory of God. I'm kind of wanting to have a good time while I'm here. 
drag a few people with me. <laughs> Let's go over to Romans chapter 3. This is real interesting. The book of Romans, as m- many of you know, is the first letter in the New Testament. So we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we call the Gospels. We've got Acts, you know, the historical account of the early church and following some of the things that they did. And then Romans was the first letter or epistle to, written by the Apostle Paul. And it's the way it's ordered in our Bible anyway is that's first, and I think that's good. Listen, the, the book of Romans basically deals with the subject that we're talking about, God's grace versus the law and setting this foundation of how our people are supposed to live in the new covenant. And I know this, that if we get a hold of this particular truth of God's amazing grace, then it really sets us up to receive and understand other Bible truths and doctrines. But if we don't get it, we'll confuse and mix up a lot of scriptures. If you don't understand the foundation of how God relates to you, other things will be confusing and you'll very likely kick back over into law mentality. All right, kind of like when Jesus taught the parable of the sower sows the word. He said, if you don't understand this one, you're not going to understand any of the others. There are certain truths, certain Bible principles that unlock everything else. And when it comes to the grace of God, this is the way that he relates to us in this new covenant. Okay, understanding that again uh, opens the door for me to understand many other things. Praise God. And so uh, in Romans, I had you turn there, but I probably didn't need to, Uh, just because I want to read this to you from from the Message uh, Bible here today, and you can follow along with me. If you've heard of the Message, it's a paraphrase. We don't really get doctrine from it. We don't do word studies from it, but it's kind of a, it's written in a language that's very uh, contemporary. So what I like to do sometimes is kind of step back and just kind of read several verses, and you kind of get a, a picture of what's um, being said, and it can be very helpful in that regard. And so I want to read this to you today, and, and just listen real close, try to get the feel of what's being said. It's Romans 3, 21 through 24. But in our time, something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years has happened. The God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us and not only for us but for everyone who believes in him for there is no difference between us and them in this who's us and them us and them is gentiles and jews all right he said there's no difference he said since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners both us and them and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives god wills for us God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself. A pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. Amen. Isn't that good? See, the focus goes back to it's all about what he did for me. And I accept. And this is the way that we are are to live for him every single day. Now, uh, let's see, Romans 3, 27, 27 and 28. Let's go some more here. It says, so where does that leave our proud Jewish insider claims and counterclaims? Cancel? Yes, canceled. What we've learned is this. God does not respond to what we do. We respond to what God does. Finally, we've figured it out. 
Uh, we finally figured it out. Our lives get in step with God and all others by letting Him set the pace, not by proudly or anxiously trying to run the parade. And so we see that the way the Lord is working in our lives today is what He's doing. Our goal is to simply understand what He's doing, what He has done, and be moved by Him. As opposed to the other, I'm trying to move God. I'm trying to get God to do. I'm trying to make myself better or acceptable or do so, get myself in... Uh, in a place where God will do more things for me or something like that. No, that, that's the contrary, uh, that's contrary to the New Testament word. Now, now go to Romans 6 with me. And this one, do go. In, in Romans 6, check out this first verse. It says, what shall we say then? Shall, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, I want, you to, I want you to think about this for a moment. Why is that question even posed? Why would you even say that? Why would someone bring, Paul's bringing up their question, basically. Why would someone even, even say, shall we continue in sin? I mean, back away from it. That doesn't make any sense. Why would a true believer ever say, shall we continue in sin? The reason for the question is because he is making such a strong and accurate case for grace that you almost have to ask that question to make sure that that's not what he's saying. Whenever grace is spoken of accurately and powerfully, it's going to cause some people to have this question in their mind. You mean I can just sin? I can just live any old sinful way and it doesn't matter because my sins were in Jesus and they're wiped away past, present, and future? So my future sins are forgiven too? And so it doesn't even matter what I do today? You see how the logic can, can, can come in? And I would venture to say probably as we've been going through this series that that thought has crossed many minds. Well, I'm already forgiven, so what does it really matter? And so it brings up, it causes a person to ask a question like this. It causes this question to have to be answered, all right? I would venture to say, if that question is never brought up, if people never get the idea in, 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 in church circles or in, in listening to some teaching, then, then grace wasn't taught accurately. Or it was watered down severely from where the Apostle Paul uh, uh, you know, compared to his message. And that's kind of sad. But he was so extreme. <laughs> he was so radical in his message of grace that he had to answer questions like, you mean we can just all sin? What's his answer to that? He said, certainly not. You have missed the point. No, God's grace is not permission to do wrong. It is empowerment to do right. And he begins to make a case. He said, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? What, what's the point here? You're dead to it. He said, verse 3, or, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were put into Jesus 
that means I was put into his death. That means when Jesus died on the cross, I died on the cross. Have you been crucified? Yep. Thank God I didn't have to feel it. But I was. The Bible tells me when he went, I went. Because he wasn't going for himself. He was going for me. I was in him. He said, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism in, into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. What does that mean? I went to the cross. I came out of the tomb. I died with him. I was also raised with him. So what am I today? Alive or dead? For every believer now, they are alive in Christ. And we might hear that language sometime, but here's where it gets mixed up. It gets really watered down in many uh, Christian circles, all right? And we got to free our minds from this here today. Uh, but people are told that they still have a sin nature. You ever heard that? that, that that's common in church, is, uh, you know, you're saved. Yes, your sins are forgiven, but you're still a sinner. You still have this sin nature to deal with. And yet the Scripture says just the opposite. And he's teaching the very contrary to that. No, that guy died. That sin part of you that all of mankind were born into, we, we caught the genes of Adam, the sin nature. He said, that part of you died with Jesus. And when he came out of the tomb, so did you. Now you're alive. And so I don't have this kind of dual status with God. Or I'm accepted, but also still I, I still retain sin. See, that would be a problem. And that thinking keeps people away from the Lord. I can't, how can I approach Him fully? Eyes wide open. Feeling loved. Feeling accepted like He told me. If at the same time that I'm forgiven, I'm also still guilty. Same time I'm washed and cleansed, I also carry this sin nature with me. Let's read, let's read some more. You're not excited enough yet, so we'll go, we'll go some more. What verse? For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Now, your old man, that's not your dad, right? But the old man is you before you came to Jesus. He's writing to believers here. He said that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. What, what's that saying? I, before this, I was a slave to sin. Sin dominated me. But when I came to Jesus now, I am no longer a slave to sin. Sin doesn't dominate me. What's he doing? He's answering the question. Well, should we just sin then? Since we got this grace thing going on, we can just sin, right? He said, no, you've been risen with him. You're no longer a slave. Stop thinking like a slave. Stop thinking like a sinner. Stop, start, stop thinking like it has some kind of power over you. You can't control yourself. Hmm. Start thinking like a resurrected person. Start thinking like the resurrection life of God is in you. And, you, and, and, and we can do all that God wants us to do. He said, uh, verse 7, For he who, who has died has been freed from sin. He who has died... Who's that? Well, that's us. The old man died, crucified with Christ. What has he been? 
He's been freed. Everybody say freed. Freed. Duh. Free duh is different from free. Hmm. Free and free duh are two different words. Free duh means that something has been done to us. But whether a person today is free or not depends on if they know that they have been freed. If I don't know I've been freed, then I will likely not live free. It's, it's like years ago in our country there was slavery. And when the law was passed that we would no longer have slavery, how many know there were still some slaves? Why? Because a lot of them didn't know it. And some of the some of the owners of slaves didn't bother to tell them. And so here we have a person who was freed that is not free. Right? What needed to take place to cause that freedom to be a reality in their life? All they needed to do was know it. Then they can live like a free person. But if a free person thinks they're still a bound person, then they will live as a bound person. And that's why the understanding that I died with him, and that part of me is dead, gonzo, el, passed away, oh, uh, he is no longer alive, he is dead, and I am alive. Who's, who's, who's me now? Remember Paul, Rome, uh, Philippians 2, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's the life of God in me. This part of me is alive. That part of me is dead. Why would I want to sin? Dead guys don't sin. There's, there's no part of me. Uh, I, I'm not, you know, why would I live in that? I, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Dead guys don't struggle with sin. They're not even tempted with sin. Hmm. Go, go find a body. Try to tempt them. Come on, you sure you don't want to do this? They won't even acknowledge you. Maybe we had to uh, stop acknowledging. Stop acting like that old guy's alive. Stop living as if, uh, you know, the old sin nature is still in existence. Now, one problem with that is sometimes you get around church circles and they tell you he's still alive. You think he's dead, but he's still alive. You say, no, he's dead, gone, and buried. He, no, he's not alive anymore. Uh, but but oh, they'll tell you, oh, but you still have this sin nature. Man, that messes people up so much. It really does. L- listen, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like a person that's been abused, like sexually abused as a child. Frequently, you'll see. When, so, when someone has had things happen to them, not stuff they did, something was done to them outside of their will or choice. But it's not uncommon to see that person later in life begin to act out those things. In other words, if they were hurt in that way as a child, they have adapted that image. They feel guilty, they feel dirty, they feel ashamed. Uh, oftentimes all these feelings are stuck with them. And because of that, they become sexually promiscuous in their teen and adult years. And many times that's perpetuated because of something that happened to them 
in, uh, at, at a younger age. And unless that person adapts a different image of themselves, they'll continue to live out who they think they are, who they feel like they really are. Everybody with me on this? Okay. And, and, and that's basically what we're dealing with. Okay. As believers, no matter what has happened, if it is reinforced that there's something wrong with me, that there's sin, that there's, that there, there's, I'm guilty, I'm dirty, uh, uh, I fall short, then that is going to be my natural way of living. I'm going to live out of that. But if I do what these scriptures says and, re- and realize I died with Jesus, I was raised with Jesus, I'm alive today, and I adopt that image inside of me, it's the image of Christ in me, then I will begin to live out of that and my life will be a reflection of God as, a repo- as opposed to a reflection of sin. It's not by giving me a bunch of rules, giving me some laws, sticking the Ten Commandments in my face that changes my life. It's not. It's having the image of Christ in me. When that is who I am, who I see myself as, and who I acknowledge, what I acknowledge to be true, that I have been freed uh, from all that stuff, that's who I am. That's how I live now. I'm dead to anything else. Okay, let's read some more. What verse are we in? Let's go with eight. All right. If we d- now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. What does that mean for us? Exact same thing. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives to God. Very next verse, likewise, you also. So everything He's saying about Jesus... About him dying, about him being dead to sin. He's not going to die anymore. All, he, all this stuff and how he's alive to God. He says, and you likewise. That means exactly what he's saying about Jesus is true in me. Likewise, you also reckon. Now, reckon has to do with my, with my mind. Consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why would I consider myself to be dead to sin? Because I, I honestly and truly am. The reality of this is I'm dead to that. I mean, the Lord's not telling me, now, you really, you really, there's a part of you that's still alive to sin. Part, part of that sin nature still exists. But I want you to act like it doesn't. <laughs> Would that make any sense? No. He's not telling us it's really there, but pretend it's not. No, he said, it's not there. It's really been dealt, dealt with. It's really been abolished. So consider yourself free. Consider yourself alive to God and dead to sin. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. So this is how we deal with sin. No, I I'm not going to obey that. Why? I died to that. It's not who I am anymore. It's not a part of who I am. I'm not, I'm not a sinner trying to live for God. I'm a resurrected man. I'm a changed person. And I'm going to live like my God. I'm going to live like my dad. His, I got his genes. Got his nature in me. 
his life, his ability. I've been washed and cleansed. Oh, it's so good. Verse 13, and do not present your, your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Look at this, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you for or because you are not under the law, but under grace. Why shall sin not, why am I not under sin? Because of grace. In other words, see what this is saying? If a person is under law, if they live their life by the commandments, then sin will dominate them. But if they live under grace, they're free. And someone, again, someone thinks, man, you're telling people they're, they're forgiven. Grace is abounding in their life. They're just going to go sin and think they get away with it. Exactly opposite is what the Bible says. It says if you give them a rule, you give them a law to live by, they're going to be dominated by sin. But you give them grace, and they're free. We're not on, no longer under the law, but under grace. And he brings up the question again because it sounds like, oh, wow, this is too good. I mean, this is it's pretty heavy stuff here. So he brings up the question again. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? It raises that question. Makes you, it makes you raise that question. He says, certainly not. Certainly not. That's not the point. Everybody with me today? Okay. Act like it. Uh, let's go to Titus and we'll finish here today. Titus chapter 2. So are we saved from sin? Or, well, let me say it this way. Are we saved to be righteous or to act righteous? The answer is yes. God changes us to be and then we act out of our being. We act out of who we are. But it is the confusion of not knowing who we really are in Him that causes us to get tripped up, okay? And our minds are often, we can compare it to a computer system. Uh, if you put a bunch of bad programs and applications in that computer, and how many know you're going to have trouble with it? You download a bunch of viruses or something, you're going to have trouble with your computer, it, trouble with your system. And uh, same same thing is true with our lives. If we're um, feeding on and accepting a bunch of things that tell us sin, 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 sin nature, sin nature, you're something wrong with you, condemnation, guilt, all this stuff, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hinder the way our system operates. That's why the meditation of God's grace and His righteousness in me allows me to operate the way He created me to operate. Amen. Garbage in, garbage out. Same type of, uh, of philosophy works in the believer's lives. All right, let's look at Titus. Everybody there? Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. It says, for by, uh, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. What will the grace of God do? It'll teach us to live right. God's grace not only forgives and changes and empowers, the grace of God is not a license to do wrong, as, as some people say. The grace of God is not permission 
to do wrong things. It is empowerment to do right things. It, it, it teaches us and empowers and gives us the ability to live a holy, overcoming life. What, what, what trips up some people in this uh, message or this type of subject is they know somebody who calls themselves a Christian and lives like the devil and says, well, I'm forgiven in Jesus. And so it makes them almost want to back away. But, you know, I don't want to see someone who abuses any particular truth and say, you know what, it's because you're living wrong and you're giving this a bad name, I'm going back under the law. I'm going to start, I'm going to go back in the old covenant because you're abusing the new covenant. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, right? And there's always going to be someone who does wrong and says one thing, and I can't ultimately be the judge. Someone says, I'm a Christian, and you know, they live like the devil. Well, I don't even know if they are anyway. They could just be a religious Christian. I don't know if they're truly born again. I'm not saying they're not. I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying, I don't know what you got going on, but I know what the Word says. And it says, I've been resurrected. I've been made free. I've been washed and cleansed. And I'm, I'm just going to live my life for God. I'm going to pray for you because something's not working in you. They say, I'm under grace. <laughs> no, you're not. It's obvious you're not under grace because the grace of God teaches you to live right. The grace of God empowers you. Praise God. But it is with this focus that I'm accepted in Him, in the Beloved, in Jesus, and I'm cleaned up based upon His activity in my life, not by uh, me just trying to get everything all together and doing everything right. The rules of grace that we're talking about uh, are simply that we accept the full and complete work of God in our lives and add nothing to it. And I relate to God every single day, no matter what I've done, good or bad. I relate to Him based on that and I see myself this way and I know uh, for those who struggle with various things whether it's you know physical conditions or addictions and things like that there's always we want to we want to get our hand in the mix what do I need to do what do I need to do it sounds like it's all God but if it was all God wouldn't it already have happened what do I need to do the thing that we quote do is adjust our thinking to align with His grace. And any activity on my part, it basically is enforcing or reinforcing the truths of how God loved me in Jesus and what Jesus did for me. So I might take time and just praise the Lord. I might just lift my hands and get alone and say, Thank you, Lord. I'm free. I've been freed, and so I am free today. Thank you, Lord, that I'm free in Jesus. You don't hold any sin against me, but I'm washed and cleansed. I am free. Thank you, Lord. And, and, and spend time reinforcing and renewing your mind with that concept, which is straight out of the Word of God. And as we do that, what happened? Well, often we've been thinking wrong for years We've had funky law mentality. We picked some of it up in church. and uh, We've had it for years, and it's not necessarily just a switch. Or all of a sudden, from here on out, I'm going to have that wind in my back where I feel God propelling me and carrying me through life by His power. 
this thing get right here gets in the way. And so we remind ourselves again and again, just kind of like you go to the uh, gym. If you go to the gym, sometimes you've got to kick yourself in the rear and say, get your rear end over to, get yourself over to the gym. Why? Because you don't feel like it at times. You don't want to go. And so you make yourself. Well, sometimes you make yourself do this. Thank you, Lord. I'm free. And you're, you know, you get thoughts. No, you're not. You're lying. It's just, uh, you're just, mind, that's just mind over matter. <laughs> and you say, no, this is word of God over matter. Word of God over my life. And we just, you might take time. You might take 10 minutes. You might take 30 minutes. You might do it multiple times a day. You might extend this for months in your life and get this established. I am free. I am free. Thank you, Lord. I give you praise that I am free in Him. My, the old guy is dead, and the new me is arisen with Him, and I am free. Thank you, Lord. Let your mind meditate, meditate on those thoughts. And when you get to the place where you get excited about it, you find yourself going, wow, I am free. If you ever catch yourself saying, this is too good to be true. This whole grace thing, it's, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like it's too good to be true. You've got it. Yeah. But, but it is true. But you don't want to give it up. You know, like I, I was sharing in some of the other services, like if you went down to the Lexus dealership, did I say that in this service? Uh, if you went down to Lexus dealership and you, you were looking at their nicest uh, vehicle there, brand new, you know, uh, whatever that thing costs, you know, a lot, and... Uh, and they said, we're going we're gonna to sell that to you today for a dollar. One dollar. You one dollar and it's yours. How many know most of us, or all of us, would be very, very skeptical? Like, what's going on here? You're pulling my leg. And what would happen? But imagine it were true. You walked in at the right time, at the right place, and they're giving that Lexus away for one dollar. And you thought, whatever. This, this is a scam. I'm not even going to listen to you. I'm out of here, and you left. Got on your bike and drove away. <laughs> and you rode over to the mall. <laughs> and when you got over to the mall, and you you know you came out, there was that car in the parking lot. Someone was driving up, and they pulled into a parking spot, and uh, they were they looked really happy. And you said, Did, "Where'd you get that car?" And he said. You wouldn't believe it. The Lexus guy sold this to me for a dollar. It was, I mean, no, you're having a bad day. <laughs> but think about it. It sounded so good to be true, too good to be true. And so you just said, nah, that can't be right. People are doing that with God's grace. They're doing that with this message. It's like, you mean I'm just really forgiven completely and totally? There's nothing else? And people resist it because they want to have a part to play in this. Hmm. And they're walking away from the most amazing thing that actually is true. That God will relate to us this way. He wants to empower us to live. Amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you today now for your, your goodness and your life in us. What you've provided, what you've given, you want us to understand. Lord, we accept it. Hey. Yes, we accept it, Lord, we accept it fully. It almost sounds too good, but Lord, we accept it as the final word, the final word in our lives, that you love us without condition based upon Jesus. And so thank you today now 
for your mighty power, your ability working in every life, causing those who are struggling, those who are under the, under the barrel, those who are addicted, those who are, have physical conditions, that by your power, your amazing grace, they see there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's nothing being held to their account. They shouldn't be that way, and now they walk free. We give you thanks for that, for working in us, in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Father, for those who come to church that have never been saved.